Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to have you with us today. Before we get to the actual episode, I want to share with you a project that we've got going on, a fundraiser over at Kickstarter, kickstarter.com. If you look it up, it's Mormon Discussion, Leading with Faith. And what we're trying to do is raise $3,000 to be able to make the website much improved, to take it off of the Podbean site, to have it stand alone on its own two feet. We also want to revamp the website so that you can look up episodes by topic so that things will be easier to find. This podcast has been going on for two years now. I've really enjoyed doing it, but we've got to take it to the next level. I know that there's about a 1,000 listeners who listen to each episode regularly. I know that we're getting 50,000 hits to the website a month. 30,000 of those are unique IP addresses. So I appreciate all of you who are listening in. This project, though, is going to need your help. It's been out for about five or six days now, and we're only up to about 14% of the money we need to raise. So I'm asking you to please visit kickstarter.com, check out Mormon Discussion, Leading with Faith, and with each pledge, there is a reward. And some of the rewards are free advertising on the site, whether it be by link or a mention in the episodes, um, free subscriptions to the podcast so that you can have a free annual subscription. Some of them are free lifetime subscriptions. And so I hope you'll make that pledge today. This uh, fundraiser goes till June 1st, and if I don't raise the $3,000 on this site, then then unfortunately you don't get any of it. It's an all-or-nothing thing. So please, I am uh, pleading with you, the listeners, who uh, who enjoy this podcast, who get something out of it, please make this a success. It, if everybody would chip in just a little bit, then we can reach the goal of $3,000. I will personally uh, put in $200 of my own money uh, into this uh, project, whether we reach the 3000 or higher, uh, I will put 200 bucks in. I just am asking every listener to possibly think about uh, contributing to this fundraiser so that we can indeed make sure that every Latter-day Saint who is struggling in a difficult faith transition will have this podcast as a resource available to them. Thank you so much, and uh, now on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. Glad to have you here. I'm your host, Bill Real. What I thought we'd do today is share with you some of my favorite talks in the church, but not the whole talk, just my favorite parts of each of them. And so we're going to begin uh, with a talk given by Stephen Robinson, um, a member of the church. All these, all these uh, parts are from members of the church. Stephen Robinson is a professor, was a professor of uh, ancient scripture at BYU uh, when this devotional address was given on the 29th of May, 1990. And so we'll go to his talk here in just a second. But as we go through each of these clips of, of talks that I really enjoy in the church, the parts that I'm sharing with you are stories that they told within that talk and or a parable uh, that they gave within that talk. And so I hope that you'll enjoy each of these. The title of Stephen Robinson's talk is Believing Christ, A Practical Approach to the Atonement. And then he shares a parable, which was a story he had in his life uh, regarding his daughter and a bicycle that she wanted. And so we will go to that now. 
When uh, I was coming home from school one day, I was sitting in the chair and reading the, the newspaper, and my daughter Sarah, then seven years old, came in and said, Dad, can I have a bike? I'm the only kid on the block who doesn't have a bike. And I didn't have enough money to buy her a bike, so I stalled her. I said, sure, Sarah. She said, how, when? So I said, you save all your pennies, and pretty soon you'll have enough for a bike. She went away. A couple of weeks later, as I was sitting in the same chair, I was aware of uh, Sarah doing something for her mother and getting paid. She went in the other room. I heard clink, clink. I said, Sarah, what are you doing? And she came out. She had a little jar all cleaned up with a slip cut in the lid and a bunch of pennies in the bottom. She looked at me and she said, you promised me that if I saved all my pennies, pretty soon I'd have enough for a bike. And, Daddy, I've saved every single one. She's my daughter. I love her. My heart melted. She was doing everything in her power. I hadn't actually lied to her. If she'd save all of her pennies, eventually she'd have enough for a bike. <laughs> By then, she'd want a car. But her needs weren't being met. Because I love her, I said, well, let's go downtown and look at bikes. So we did. We went down. We went to every store in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And finally we found it. The perfect bicycle. The one she knew in the pre-existence. <laughs> and she got up on that bike and she was just thrilled. And she saw then the price tag. And she reached down and she turned it over and she saw how much it cost. And her face fell. She started to cry, and she said, Oh, Dad, I'll never have enough for a bicycle. So I proposed a new deal to her. I said, Sarah, how much do you have? She said, 61 cents. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You give me everything you've got, the whole 61 cents and a hug and a kiss, and that bike is yours. She's never been stupid. She gave me a hug and a kiss. She gave me 61 cents. And then I had to drive home very slowly because she wouldn't get off the bike. She rode home on the sidewalk. And as I drove along slowly beside her, it occurred to me that that was a parable for the atonement of Christ. I hope you enjoyed that, the uh, parable of the bicycle. The next talk that we're going to go to um, is Elder Holland, member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, his talk from the October 2009 General Conference, Safety for the Soul. Towards the end of it, he shares a wonderful account of Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram at the Carthage Jail uh, leading up to the martyrdom. And so we'll now go to Elder Holland. May I refer to a modern last day's testimony. When Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram started for Carthage to face what they knew would be an imminent martyrdom, Hiram read these words of comfort to the heart of his brother. Thou hast been faithful, wherefore thou shalt be made strong, even unto the sitting down in the place with which I have prepared in the mansions of my father. And now I, Moroni, bid farewell until we shall meet.
before the judgment seat of Christ. A few short verses from the twelfth chapter of Ether in the Book of Mormon. Before closing the book, Hiram turned down the corner of the page from which he had read, marking it as part of the everlasting testimony for which these two brothers were about to die. I hold in my hand that book, the very copy from which Hiram read, the same corner of the page turned down, still visible. Later, when actually incarcerated in the jail, Joseph the prophet turned to the guards who held him captive and bore a powerful testimony of the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Shortly thereafter, pistol and ball would take the lives of these two testators. As one of a thousand elements of my own testimony of the divinity of the Book of Mormon, I submit this as yet one more evidence of its truthfulness. In this their greatest and last hour of need, I ask you, would these men blaspheme before God by continuing to fix their lives, their honor, and their own search for eternal salvation on a book and by implication a church and a ministry they had fictitiously created out of whole cloth. Never mind that their wives are about to be widows and their children fatherless. Never mind that their little band of followers will yet be houseless, homeless, and friendless, and that their children will leave footprints of blood across frozen rivers and an untamed prairie floor. Never mind that legions will die and other legions live, declaring in the four quarters of this earth that they know the Book of Mormon and the church which it espouses it to be true. Disregard all of that and tell me whether in this hour of death these two men would enter the presence of their eternal judge quoting from and finding solace in a book which, if not the very word of God, would brand them as impostors and charlatans until the end of time. They would not do that. They were willing to die rather than deny the divine origin and the eternal truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Isn't that beautiful? What a wonderful testimony of the restoration in the Book of Mormon. Just uh, was amazed when I heard that from Elder Holland, that talk when it was first given. And it's always rung with me. It's one of those talks that I go back to from time to time to listen to. The next talk that we're going to hear a bit from is Brother Dale Sturm. Uh, at the time, I'm not sure if he still is, but at the time he was the chair of the BYU-Idaho Department of Religious Education. This was from a talk called Faith is a Decision. It was given on January 31st 
of 2012 at a Brigham Young University, Idaho devotional. He gives a wonderful story of the Savior and one of the stories out of his life. And I think it's very touching in his interaction with Peter. And so we'll go to that now. In Luke chapter 5, we find Peter being asked to do something when he was not in the mood. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Peter, as you know, was a fisherman, and it seems that he worked with his brother, Andrew, and his partners, James and John. It was a morning after a long night of fishing on the Sea of Galilee, made longer by the fact that they had caught nothing. The Sea of Galilee had, and still has now, some 25 native species of fish. But the two major species, the two from which fishermen made their living then and now, are a kind of tilapia and lake sardines. I'm in favor of the tilapia. I'm somewhat opposed to the sardines. (laughs) The sardines come out in the open at night, and so they're generally caught at night in large encircling nets, which in those days were cast by hand onto the surface of the water, allowed to sink to the bottom, pulled down by weights sewn into their perimeters, and then hauled back to the boat by hand with a rope. The rope was attached to strings, which in turn were tied to the edges of the net, so that when pulled, the net would close up like a bag. It required strength and stamina to throw the nets out, haul them back in, open them, empty them, and throw them out again, over and over. Luke chapter 5 begins as Peter and the others are doing the tedious but necessary daily work of washing their nets after a night of fishing presumably for sardines. The nets needed to be cleansed of debris and any accumulated plant material, then stretched out to dry after every fishing session. If the nets were not washed and dried, they would rot and break. So, like it or not, it had to be done every time, even on mornings after long nights when nothing had been caught. The Savior was there on the lake shore that morning, and a crowd had gathered, hoping to hear him teach. To make it easier for everyone to hear, the Savior asked Peter if he could step into his boat and push out a little. The crowd would stay on the shore, and the Savior would speak to them while sitting in the boat. The arrangement would create something like a natural amphitheater. Now, we should note that as far as we can tell, this is only the second time that Peter has met Jesus. Andrew had introduced him once before, but there's no evidence that Peter had yet determined to follow him. All the same, the Lord politely asked this favor of Peter. While he was working on his nets, his frustratingly empty boat was just sitting there, reminding him of his wasted night. So he consented, and Jesus did as he had proposed. Interestingly, Luke tells us absolutely nothing about the sermon the Lord taught to the crowd that morning. Not one word. Apparently, all of this has just been set up for what Luke really wants to tell us. For Luke, the real story is what is about to happen. Now, try to imagine this with me. The sermon is over. The boat is brought back the few yards to the shore. 
Peter drops his now washed and dried and folded nets into the empty boat. He sighs that tired sigh that means the work is finally done. Maybe he even turns his thoughts to breakfast and home and rest. It is in this moment that the Lord Jesus Christ looks Peter in his weary face and says, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. In other words, take those nets you just cleaned and put away and sail back out onto that sea you just spent all night on and use your tired, aching muscles to throw the nets out again and see if we can't catch some of those fish that are nowhere to be found today. Can you imagine the look on Peter's face in this moment? Peter seems to begin his response to the Lord intent on saying no, but something happens halfway through. Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. I imagine a long pause here as the Lord listens to Peter while calmly, firmly, lovingly, expectantly gazing at him. Peter changes course. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done... They enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. Where there had been nothing, there was now so much that their nets could not handle the load. And they beckoned under their partners, which were, their, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. Their forlornly empty boats were now filled beyond their capacity to remain afloat. Now that's a lot of sardines. Amidst the excitement and the yelling and the laughter and the splashing, Peter stops and falls to his knees right in the fish. Depart from me, he says to Jesus, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We may come to know Christ and feel our testimonies move up to the next level at the most surprising moments. For Peter, it happened when he was weary and discouraged and knee-deep in fish. But when he had, nevertheless, responded to an invitation from the Savior, when he had done something he was not in the mood to do, faith is not just a feeling, it is a decision. What a neat example of conversion and how those experiences sometimes come at the moments when we least expect them. What a beautiful uh, talk by Brother Sturm. I hope that as you guys are going through these and and seeing that there are a multitude of wonderful stories shared throughout uh, talks in our church, that you might take time to go back to these talks and read them in uh, in their completeness. There are certainly a lot more lessons to be learned in each of these, um, the talks of these brothers. Um, So I hope you'll take time to do that certainly would be a benefit to each of you. I'm just sharing with you just a a bit and a piece out of each. The next one is probably my favorite talk uh, up to this point in my life. It's given by a a member of the church named Brad Wilcox. Uh, He is a member of the Sunday School General Board of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, as well as a BYU associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education in the David O. McKay School of Education. This devotional address was given on the 12th of July, 2011. The title of his talk is His Grace is Sufficient, and he relates the atonement and the power of grace to the playing of a piano 
I hope you enjoy that. So here it goes. Christ's arrangement with us is similar to a mom providing music lessons for her child. Mom pays the piano teacher. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yep, look at all those hands. Because mom pays the debt in full, she can turn to her child and ask for something. What is it? Everybody in a big voice. Oh, you knew that answer. Practice, practice. Now, does the child's practice pay the piano teacher? No. Well, does the child's practice repay mom for paying the piano teacher? No. Practicing is how the child shows appreciation for mom's incredible gift. It is how he takes advantage of the amazing opportunity mom is giving him to live his life at a higher level. Mom's joy is not found in getting repaid, but in seeing her gift used, seeing her child improve. And so she continues to call for practice, practice, practice. Now, if the child sees mom's requirement of practice as being too overbearing, gosh, mom, why do I need to practice? None of the other kids need then None of them practice. And I'm just going to be a professional baseball player anyway. <laughs> Maybe it's just because that child doesn't yet see with mom's eyes. He doesn't see how much better his life could be if he would choose to live it on a higher plane. The child must practice the piano. But this practice has a different purpose than punishment or payment. Its purpose is change. Brother Wilcox, I mean, don't you realize how hard practice is? I mean, I'm just not very good at the piano. I hit a lot of wrong notes, and it takes me forever to get it right. Now wait, isn't that all part of the learning process? When a young pianist hits a wrong note, we don't say he is not worthy to keep practicing. We don't say that. We don't expect him to be flawless. We just expect him to keep trying. Perfection may be his ultimate goal, but for now, we can be content with progress in the right direction. Why is this perspective so easy to see in the context of learning piano, but so hard to see in the context of learning heaven? There should never be just two options, perfection or giving up. When learning the piano, are the only options performing at Carnegie Hall or quitting? <laughs> no. Growth and development take time. Learning takes time. When we understand grace, we understand that God is long-suffering. Isn't that awesome? What a wonderful way to kind of understand the atonement and its relationship to each of us in understanding that this life is a journey and that the things that we do, that we need not focus on doing everything at this very moment, but understanding the power of the process. I'd like to finish with a piece of Elder Holland's talk, The Only True God and Jesus Christ Whom He Hath Sent. Towards the very end of this talk, Elder Holland bears witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's a testimony that 
if I were able to write down my testimony in perfect form, I would simply take Elder Holland's t- testimony from the end of this talk and use that as my own. And so I thought this would be a nice way to conclude this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. This is Elder Holland, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, the title of the talk, The Only True God in Jesus Christ, Whom He Hath Sent. This was given in October of 2007, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Now, to anyone within the sound of my voice who has wondered regarding our Christianity, I bear this witness. I testify that Jesus Christ is the literal living Son of our literal living God. This Jesus is our Savior and Redeemer, who under the guidance of the Father was the Creator of heaven and earth and all things that in them are. I bear witness He was born of a virgin mother, that in His lifetime He performed mighty miracles observed by legions of His disciples and by His enemies as well. I testify He had power over death because He was divine, but that He willingly subjected Himself to death for our sake because for a period of time He was also mortal. I declare that in His willing submission to death, He took upon Himself the sins of the world, paying an infinite price for every sorrow and sickness, every heartache and unhappiness from Adam to the end of the world. In doing so, He conquered both the grave physically and hell spiritually and set the human family free. I bear witness that He was literally resurrected from the tomb and after ascending to His Father, To complete the process of that resurrection, he appeared repeatedly to hundreds of disciples in the old world and in the new. I know he is the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, who will one day come again in final glory to reign on earth as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I know that there is no other name given under heaven whereby a man can be saved and that only by relying wholly upon His merits, mercy, and everlasting grace can we gain eternal life. I hope you enjoyed each of those. Grateful that you joined me today in this Mormon Discussion podcast. My name is Bill Real. Again, you can reach me at realmormon at gmail.com, LDS Leadership Principles on Facebook, or mormondiscussion.podbean.com. Grateful uh, for the opportunity to, to spend some time with you. God bless you, and may the Lord warm your shoulders.